So, Jeannie, here are all the ways that I love Harry Potter. Okay. All right. So we found out what houses we're in, right? Yeah, we Together. did it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Gryffindor, and I know you're a Ravenclaw. Yes, I am. Proud all day. And my Patronus is a chow dog of all things. <laughs> I, it's so funny to imagine myself just a little yappy, little cute thing. And I have Hermione Granger's wand. Okay. I have Professor McGonagall's wand. Boss. Yes. Okay, so I also know, I, I still have to say this, that Hogwarts is a sexist workplace. Wait. Wait, what did you just say about Hogwarts? Oh, it's a sexist workplace. What? Yeah. Yeah. So what? Y- you know it's true when you think about it. Like all of the ways that we picture women's roles in the spaces and how Hermione even being, you know, the smartest in the class was a real challenge for us as readers. Oh. I mean, so that's just a student thing though, but you're talking about the workplace. Yeah, so here's what I mean about that. So I spent at least a hundred hours of my life consuming, obsessing with the series, right? I waited in line to get to the books, the movies. I mean, I fell asleep in all of them, but I was there <laughs> and I completely forgot about an amazing character, Madame Pomfrey. Do you know who Madame Pomfrey is? Yeah. I mean, she's like the school nurse at Hogwarts. I I mean, I haven't thought that much about her, honestly. But she's way more than that. Okay. Her actual title is Matron. But look, what she actually did was take care of every injury at Hogwarts. Every magical injury. Oh, you're Period, right. girl. And they kept on happening. But nobody ever talked about how Hogwarts would freaking fall apart without my girl Pomfrey. <gasps> the students would definitely fall apart because she wasn't there to fix them. Oh, my God. That's true. Yeah. That's so true. She's like one of those people that if she quit, you'd have to hire like three people to replace her because of all the work she was doing. At least. And the whole reason we're talking about this is because on another podcast that we love, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, yes. part of the team making that show is making another series called The Women of Harry Potter. Yes. So the host, Vanessa Zoltan, and the executive producer, Ariana Nettleman, have conversations once a month where they bless one of the women characters from the books and then they explain why. Mm-hmm. And this episode about Madame Pomfrey and her work and her importance and her, I mean, let's be real, invisibility. Wow. Whew, she's not just a doctor. She's basically a walking, magical, one-witch hospital. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So we wanted you all to hear this great analysis of Madame Pomfrey in the, I have to agree with you now, yeah. the sexist workplace of Hogwarts. This is the women of Harry Potter. Want to say it with me? Yes. Accio episode. episode. <laughs> Hi, Ariana. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to this third episode of The Women of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Oh, welcome to you. Oh, thank you. I feel welcomed. <sighs> Vanessa, it's your turn to bless someone. Who is it you're going to bless this week? I am blessing Poppy Pomfrey. And there's so many things to bless her for, obviously. She is a tremendous healer. The things that she heals are incredible, given that she is basically a school nurse. I would imagine that she does not have the resources of a hospital, but she takes care of all of the wounded after the Battle of Hogwarts. She takes care of people emotionally and physically and, like, reverses all sorts of magical spells. But the thing I am going to bless her for is that I feel like she is the emblem of invisible labor in these books. And by that, I mean through her competence and her ability to stand up to authority like Dumbledore and solve almost any problem brought to her, she creates an environment at that school where kids feel more comfortable experimenting and taking risks 
because they know that at the end of the day, Madame Pomfrey is going to be able to heal them. And I think that that is a huge burden that she takes on by being a competent woman. That's so interesting that you say stands up to authority like Dumbledore, because I think when you put it that way, Madame Pomfrey is the character who's the most like Dumbledore in this series Mm. for exactly the reason you're talking about, because she is always holding the safety of Hogwarts in her hands, that anything can happen to you in the bounds of Hogwarts, and Madame Pomfrey has never not been able to heal something. There's this moment where Alicia Spinette says, Madame Pomfrey will sort her out. She's never failed yet. And that kind of confidence that, like, just her presence brings to all of the students is why Hogwarts feels safe. And we so rarely talk about her as the character who keeps Hogwarts safe. We always talk about Dumbledore as that character. And yet it is their, like, mutual great wizardry that holds that. Right. And there's always like a woman behind the man who's doing just as much, if not more labor than the man, but the man is getting all the credit. I think that, you know, we're telling these stories more and more, but I think that Madame Pomfrey is not only the woman behind Dumbledore, but is the only character that really feels comfortable bossing Dumbledore around. And Dumbledore doesn't always listen to her, but like certainly does not answer her back as if he has been disrespected. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great thing to Dumbledore's credit, even though nobody else in the books seems to be thinking about Madame Pomfrey in the way they think about Dumbledore. Dumbledore goes out of his way to give her the respect that she deserves and to lift her up. I think early in the series, you talked about Dumbledore calling her Poppy rather than Madame Pomfrey and like that dynamic. But I think that demonstrates an intimacy between their positions that I... I'm really glad that Dumbledore is able to see and acknowledge. Yeah, absolutely. I do wish that he, like, called her out more frequently, like, at, you know, the beginning of school when he's like, this is Filch. Because she, like, doesn't come to the welcome feast. She's not sitting at the teacher's tables. Oh, my God. I had never realized that. Yeah. And I, I went and read through. And, like, maybe not every single person is listed. But, like, we never hear of her at the Christmas dinner I don't know where she goes all of the time. That makes me so sad. I know. So I wonder if she's like relegated to some extent with like house elves. I would imagine that she spends a lot of time healing people like house elves. So she's just right. Like she's just this like invisible labor. And I'm just thinking about like my mom used to say this wild thing to me when I was little. If When I got sick, like I, I got strep throat eight times in the second grade. And I would say to my mom, because she would be taking care of me, like, aren't you worried you're going to get sick? And she would say, moms don't get sick. And that did. It made me feel better, right? It made me feel, like, safe letting her care for me. And I feel like that's just, like, something that I was lucky enough to take for granted. And I feel like all of Hogwarts takes Madame Pomfrey for granted. And, again, it's just, like, they can play Quidditch as hard as they want because she can regrow bones in a second. She heals Neville in a second. They can like cast all these terrible spells and like, you know, she'll be able to fix eyebrows and teeth and beards, especially Fred and George. Fred and George would never have been able to found their company without Madame Pomfrey. If they didn't feel comfortable experimenting with their own bodies, knowing that they could go to a nurse who would always sort them out, I guarantee you that Weasley's wizarding wheezes would not exist. Yeah, it's so interesting. We see 
throughout the series the limits of the way that magic works in the world of Harry Potter. But there's something about the way that Madame Pomfrey heals that holds the dream of magic, the way that we wish for magic in our lives as people, that you can make any mistake and like there could be this thing that just immediately reverses it without consequence. And I think that's particularly true when it comes to our bodies and illness and dying, right? Like there's something about wanting to reverse the course of illness. We bring that to muggle doctors, um, and it's often not something that doctors are actually capable of. It's so healing as a reader of Harry Potter to see a doctor who can do that so easily in the text. And who is chaplain-like in her caretaking when she can't offer medical attention. So she can't heal the petrified student until Professor Sprout is finished growing what she needs to grow. But Madame Pumphrey still takes care of those frozen bodies, right? Like she overlooks those frozen bodies. And so even when she can't fix something, she holds it. Yeah, there's something about the hospital wing as a sanctuary, I think, as a place where like when the kids are in the midst of this chaos and they have to go to the hospital wing, it becomes a time out of time for them, a place where they can be safe. And I think that's true for the petrified kids as well. Like they have to stay in this time out of time. They can't be healed yet, but just by virtue of being in the hospital wing, they are safe. Right. I want to point out that there are two different situations in which she does not heal people. And one is where she will outsource the healing to St. Mungo's, right? Like Gilderoy Lockhart is not being cared for by Madame Pomfrey. She seems to be someone who simultaneously entirely owns her authority and yet is willing to let go of authority when needed. And can I just say there's like a Disneyland quality to that? Like my favorite fact about Disneyland is that people aren't allowed to be legally pronounced dead on the premises, that they have to be pronounced dead, like, at the nearby hospital because, like, no one can the power of capitalism, no one can die at the happiest place on earth. Like, it's just not allowed. And, like, there's something about, like, no one dying in the hospital wing that reminds me of that, that it is such a safe space that, like, all of the dire cases end up elsewhere. Yeah. I love that comparison. I do think it's just her saying, like, you need a kind of care I can't offer. Right. But I love that idea of, like, nothing bad is going to happen in this space. And we see that also, like, she takes care of Katie Bell when she touches Draco's poisoned opal necklace. But then eventually she sends Katie to St. Mungo's to be, like, further treated. And then we also see it in little ways, like, she's offering Harry chocolate when the Dementors have come for Harry. And then she finds out that Lupin has taken care of Harry. And, like, that's fine, right? Like, there doesn't seem to be ego involved in this way. But then the only other case that we have that she doesn't heal is suspect to me, and I have very mixed feelings about it. When Marietta gets the pimple attack that spells sneak on her face when she turns in the DA to Umbridge, and it says that Madame Pomfrey can't heal it. And I'm just wondering, there is conversation in fan communities that perhaps Madame Pomfrey could, but did not want to heal Marietta. And I'm wondering what you think, because it sort of puts Hermione against Madame Pomfrey. Like, is Hermione the one person who can create a curse 
that Madame Pomfrey can't heal. I simultaneously don't want to think there's anything that Madame Pomfrey can't heal, but also don't want to think that she would be biased against a student. That's so interesting to me because I think Madame Pomfrey, like as we've been talking about, holds this middle space that we want to think of as neutral. That like when victims of war and horrible things come to her, she is the person who can treat the individual rather than having to think on the political level like Dumbledore does. And there's something so beautiful about that. And we have evidence, right? Like she cares for Draco when he gets attacked by Buckbeak, quote unquote attacked by Buckbeak. So we like see her sort of offering care across the aisle. There's a quote. Um, When McGonagall gets stunned, I don't wonder you're shocked, Potter, said Madame Pomfrey with a kind of fierce approval in her face, as if one of them could have stunned Minerva McGonagall face on by daylight. Cowardice. That's what it was. Despicable cowardice. If I wasn't worried what would happen to you students without me, I'd resign in protest. That points to exactly what we're talking about, about this space of Madame Pomfrey is like having personal desires about how she identifies politically in the midst of this war and this struggle and her wanting to maintain the space of neutrality, of like being there for the students and being a safe space. So I think looking at that piece of text, I have to believe that Madame Pomfrey really tried and really cares about all of her students. And I think Marietta is so horribly treated in this moment, first of all, she signed a paper that she has no idea what the consequences are. Hermione has tricked her into this. And then Kingsley alters her memory with no thought for her. I don't know why I'm so insulted by the charms in this book that alter people's memories. But this moment where he like brainwashes her into saying something that she doesn't feel, I have such a strong reaction of injustice to It's hard for me to believe that Madame Pomfrey could know even some of that and think that she deserves to still have this word on her face. I agree. I think to a large extent it would be insulting to Madame Pomfrey to think that she would look at a student and not heal them. But I also wonder, I can also imagine, and this is like going into fan theory mode, so I don't know if we want to stop here, but like... I wonder if she has, like, seen the scars on Lee Jordan's hand and on Harry's hand and, like, is politically not allowed to heal Umbridge's wounds. And she is choosing to say, like, you're going to scar kids. I'm going to scar kids. I wonder if she sees this not as an attack on Marietta, but as an attack on Umbridge, which would be terrible. And I, I think I agree with you that... She tries, and Hermione has somehow done something that Madame Pomfrey can't heal. I mean, that would make me sad, but I think we see all of the characters grappling in this book with what the best way to to act politically and personally is, like whether you stay at your post and you try and fight from within or you just try and do your job and help people as much as possible or if you you try and fight back. And it wouldn't surprise me to imagine that Madame Pomfrey is struggling with that same thing. I I can just, like, imagine justifying that. If it was, like, boils, right, I can more easily imagine justifying not curing a kid of pimples um, for political reasons than other things. Something else that I think is amazing about her is that you don't become a school nurse 
to become a war nurse. She is chosen to be a nurse at Hogwarts. There ends up being a battle at her school, and she ends up taking care of the wounded at the Battle of Hogwarts and helping evacuate people. And I can just imagine being like, this is not the job that I signed up for. Oh, I think I disagree. I think in the way that Madame Pomfrey holds such boundaries around her space and the way that she stands up to people and says, no, this is the hospital wing. You have to play by my rules. I think we see that she takes her job as protector of these children so seriously, and she sees what she's doing as a protector role. And I think when it comes to, like, being confronted with war, that feels to me just like an extension of what I imagine as herself, her self-image in this role at Hogwarts. Yeah, and it's the way that I would imagine school nurses often feel in America when there's a shooting. It's like, mm. this is not where this is supposed to happen. And not that there is anywhere where, like, shooting is supposed to happen, but to some extent, like, it's supposed to happen on battlefields. And so to feel like these kids should not be living in fear of this. I should not be evacuating children from a school. This is supposed to be a safe space, and I'm supposed to be the hearth within the hearth. And so to feel like, of course, called to do everything you can to restore that sense of safety and to take care. I'm not saying that I think she resents being a caretaker, just the sense of betrayal they're like, these are not the kinds of wounds children are supposed to see. Yeah, and I think that's like a, a huge version of the very small version of what it means to be like a nurse and doctor in mm -hmm. our world, right? Like I think there were so many times when I went to the nurse's office when I was a little kid and there was nothing that the nurse could do. And that's just part of the, the sadness of being in a caring profession and it's particularly sad for Madame Pomfrey, who is so good at healing. She can heal so many kids of so many things. And then there's this huge atrocity. And, like, she can only do so much in the face of that. And I think that that's exactly, I think you just articulated so well what it is that I want to offer her a blessing for, which is that even when there's nothing she can do, the fact that she exists is doing so much. The fact that someone is there who is going to try to heal you creates a totally different environment at this school that is mostly taken for granted, but is glorious in its impact. I love Poppy Pomfrey. Yeah. Well, Vanessa, I have a game for you. Yes. So you told me that you were going to be blessing Madame Pomfrey. And so I was thinking about femininity and healing and how those things are intertwined. I think for a very long time, women have been considered healers in Western society. Um, and then there was kind of a turn with the um, codification of Western medicine and the movement towards academic kind of knowledge and a certain form of knowledge that you get in universities. And suddenly women were, were on the outside of what it meant to be a doctor in a different way, specifically in America. So I have some multiple choice and true or false questions about women doctors. Fun. So we're going to start here. Clara Barton. Do you know who Clara Barton is? I do. She founded the American Red Cross and was its very first president. What other job do you think she held first? A, school teacher. 
B. Patent clerk. C. Locating missing war soldiers. So like Kafka or Melville, one of those two were patent clerks. So I'm going to not say that one. I think she was a school teacher because that was like the only thing women were allowed to do. That's what I think. It was a trick question. It was all of the above. Really? Yes. So Everyone was a freaking patent clerk. So there are some fun facts that I'm going to share with you. Yay. She established a school in New Jersey. She started this school, and then the school hired a man at twice her salary, and she resigned. And she was like, a man is never going to be paid more than me when we're doing the same job. I love her so much. I already loved her, and now I love her so much. And then as a patent clerk, she was the first woman to be hired as a recording clerk, and she was paid equal to her male colleagues. Amazing. All right, next question. Is it true or false? Okay. Harriet Hunt was the first woman who attended lectures at Harvard Medical School in 1851. Uh, true. It's false. <laughs> but there's an interesting history, which you might— <laughs> You might have guessed is how I've created all of these questions. Yeah, no, I've, I, I've now caught on. I know how to answer three. Okay. Harriet Hunt, she was really close to attending lectures in 1851. She wrote to Oliver Wendell Holmes, the dean of Harvard Medical School in 1850, and he actually accepted her. And then the students petitioned. Um, there's this quote I'll read to you. Resolved that no woman of true delicacy would be willing in the presence of men to listen to the discussions of the subject that necessarily come under consideration of the student of medicine. Resolved that we object to having the company of any female forced upon us who is disposed to unsex herself and to sacrifice her modesty by appearing with men in the lecture room. So because of that, they created a formal policy against women attending lectures and Harvard Medical School didn't open its doors to women until 1945. God. Oliver Wendell Holmes was the president of the medical school? Senior, not junior. Oh, okay. I was like, he was a lawyer and a Supreme Court judge. Got it. I'm with you now. Okay. I'm ready for my last question. True or false? In its first medical school class, Johns Hopkins had three women. I'm going to say sort of true, but not really true. No, it's really solidly true. Oh, that's amazing. So... Basically, they're opening the hospital and the medical school at the same time, and they realized they did not have enough money to open the medical school, and they had gotten all these professors to agree to come and teach, and they were like, uh-oh. So four of the original university trustees' daughters, like, came to the board. They were all unmarried, wealthy, well-educated, devoted to the new feminist movement, and they said that they would raise the $500,000 needed to open the school and pay for a medical school building, but only if the school would open its doors to qualified women. And they won out, and they raised the money, and there were three women in that first class. So the only moment that I cried in my college graduation was that I graduated from Washington University in St. Louis in 2004, and WashU has a fabulous med school, and 2004 was the first year that the med school class graduated 50% men, 50% women. And when that got announced at graduation, all of the women in the medical school stood up and started cheering, and then all of the women in the audience stood up and started cheering, and I burst into tears. Uh, okay, last bonus question. This, Ooh, I love a bonus. There's no story. It's not a trick question. What year 
did we have the first female president of the American Medical Association? It hasn't happened yet, has it? 1997. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Ariana. Thank you, Vanessa. Next time around, it'll be my turn to bless. Yep. This episode of The Women of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is a production of Not Sorry Productions. It is co-produced by me, Vanessa Sultan, and Ariana Nettleman. We are edited by Ariana Martinez and distributed by Night Vale Presents. Thank you, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Oh, that was great. It was so good. I can't get enough of Harry Potter, like especially if we had to talk sexism at the same time. You know? <laughs> I know, it almost makes it fun, right? I know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, this episode makes me want to reread all of the Harry Potter books so I can just like count up all the times that Madame Pomfrey shows up. Yeah, and times she doesn't show up because like she's there at every, you know, every injury. That's true. Mm-hmm. Madame Pomfrey, your hard labor, your amazing labor, your exhausting labor will never be hidden under invisibility cloak ever again. Very nice. Also, honest to God, I really want to know how Madame Pomfrey handles stress. I mean, can you imagine the stress of her job? She's always on call. Her job is to heal, like, any magical injury that comes her way, and they all come her way. Right. There are a lot of magical injuries at Hogwarts. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to start writing fan fiction now about Madame Pomfrey's self-care, because I feel like it's got to be amazing. Oh, I'm into this. Yes. Seriously, the good thing is we have wands already. Good point. Ooh, I'm prepared. And I'm really looking forward to some leisurely reading while searching for, you know, other women who are doing a bunch of invisible labor. In that book, yes. Mm -hmm. Or in those books. Any yes. Books. I mean, they're, they're showing up. <laughs> I'm going to go do that right now. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Then we should be going. Bye. Bye. Keep up the good fight.